The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, download their top-rated app, use promo code RTRS, and brought to you by By Nature Pet Foods, slow-cooked with super fusion, new promo code. Get 20% off your first By Nature order at Amazon with promo code 20RTRS. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged, and Kinetic Skateboarding, get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. Boy, the show today. The Joel Embiid game. We've had other games that are the Joel Embiid game, but this is definitely the Joel Embiid game. Uh, we'll talk about that. Whether if you only had one spot, whether the all-star spot would go to Harris or Simmons. The importance of Danny Green debated in the mailbag, and a listener wants to know what Philadelphia's problem is with New York. So uh, we'll have to answer that as well. If you're watching on YouTube, don't watch without subscribing. It doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. Only half of our viewers are actually subscribed. Smash that subscribe button. Without any further ado, Amos and the Chef. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy whose happiness is entirely dependent on the success of Joel Embiid. That is one, Mike Levin. I, I've sort of just been sitting in stunned silence for yeah. now many hours. Mm-hmm. It is um, unrealistic how good he is right now. It is just, it should be some sort of penalty for being as good at basketball as Joel Embiid is right now. And I, it shouldn't make me feel as good as, <laughs> as it does um, because he's just a guy that's good at basketball. But the you know, swelling pride mm, yeah. that I feel for this seven-foot-two man uh, it's it's ridiculous. I almost I've been trying to sort of craft a a tweet that is both like earnest and also like undercutting myself. I genuinely think that Joel Embiid is the best, all the best parts of like Iverson, Dawkins, and Jimmy Rollins. <laughs> like, oh my I god, that like, is the thirstiest. The most, if that is a tweet, it so is. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm not. I think it. I think it, and I feel bad about thinking it, but that's like the. <laughs> You know the picture of 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 them like dead, looking down on him. That would be like photoshopped. Could you uh, could you change your? Would you tweet that? Could you change your Twitter Twitter avatar to the thing that has all four uh, team logos in it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I it is. I mean, I think I just think he is. I think he's like the most special 
athlete of my lifetime. I think he's the best. I think he is having the best season of any Philadelphia athlete of my lifetime. Um, uh, just speechless. There was a a moment um, in yesterday's game where he scored 50 points, if you hadn't heard. Yes. Uh, when one of his like contested turnaround and ones, uh, I just started laughing. And like really like laughing pretty hard, and Alyssa turns to me and is like, "Did you take an edible? I don't I don't think I saw you." Take. I'm like, "No, I'm just." This, <laughs> she thought and you were on makes drugs. Me high. Like he, <laughs> he, I, I act as if I'm on drugs when I watch him play basketball. It's uh, it's remarkable, and they should have obviously lost that game if MB didn't have the best game of his yeah. life. Uh, it's it's ridiculous how how good he is, and I I love him and all the quotes afterwards and. Tobias, I mean, it's just... I wanted to, to touch on a couple of things you said there. First of all, I, I wrote a thing in 2017 about the idea of Joel Embiid becoming the best athlete in Philadelphia sports history. And it is unlikely, maybe it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's likely, it's not likely that he will have the length of time here that will compare to the athletes that we normally put in that um, in that sort of area, maybe he will. Uh, just the way players move in the league is, you know, is he going to stay healthy? Yada yada yada, all that stuff. But the thing that you said about him, how he's playing right now, certainly in my lifetime, there are very few Philadelphia athletes who have been very, 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 very few who have been at this level consistently, even for a quarter of a season, you know, or a half of a season. So he is, it is stunning watching him. And the other thing, I think we all feel that pride feeling. We, we got an email from a listener that said that he was embarrassed to say that he has a couple of times when he's been drunk, DM'd Embiid on Instagram to tell him that he was proud of him. <laughs> and he's embarrassed <laughs> by is, it. That is the energy that we're all bringing to the table right now. But he, like, I do think, I, you know, it's weird to say that, but it is a, it's a nice feeling, you know, like it's a nice feeling to see somebody, and we, we talked about this with, uh, with Zach on Low Post earlier this week, but it's a nice feeling to see him going through, go through what he had gone through in the beginning and even last year, you know, with that season and, you know, moments where it felt like, oh, no, he might not want to be here anymore. Like, we were talking about that as a real thing. And for him to, in this season of all seasons, without fans there and with the, you know, the difficulty of everything around him, how it has all coalesced into this year, him being the way he is, is just, it's unbelievable. And it's gotten to the point it's been so long, maybe never, since we've had a player that did this, that when he shoots those those turnaround jumpers and that one at the end that with like two minutes left where he was 19 feet away that he had no business making, I actually expect all of them to go in. That is how we know that we are in a different space right now is because I expect all of his shots to go in. I don't expect him to miss any of them, honestly. He's, yeah, I mean, he's now averaging over 30 points a game. Um, his assist numbers are up. 
Shaq never averaged 30 points a game, by the way. Now, he may have 25 games into a season, but he never averaged 30 points a game. I mean, the part of it, you know, if, we, if we're talking about his, his spot in, like, the Philadelphia athlete all-time lexicon, it's just that basketball forces you to play both ways more than any other sport. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not football. I guess, I don't know, hockey. Bring somebody else on to talk about that. But the... <laughs> And baseball, it's like, unless you're a catcher, really, you're not as active all the time as you are as a basketball player. Right. Um, Shortstop or something. But otherwise, the defense is not not something that people talk about all the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, And it's just, he's just, he's the best player in the league right now. Um, (laughs) He's averaging uh, 30.5 points a game on 17.8 shots. Uh, which is <laughs> pretty remarkable. He's himself close to a 50-40-90 season. He's averaging, he's shooting 85.3% from the line, so uh, in, in the ballpark. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just going to run down a couple moments that I wrote down and laughed about. Uh, I mean, it just, his turnarounds, either shoulder, contested, triple coverage, doesn't matter. Um, but even with that, I thought his... You know, it helps that your shot selection when I think his shot selection has gotten better, but I also think even the, the shots you probably shouldn't be taking, he's also making. Amazing. So I guess yeah. that really helps with his shot selection. Um, I think his, I mean, you can't say enough about his body control around the rim. Like in traffic, navigating uh, a bunch of guys, like always trying to take a charge against him, always trying to like get him low. Uh, navigating that as the biggest guy on the court with while still having incredibly soft touch. Um, the Euro, the full court Euro step, mm-hmm. um, just unbelievable. I mean, he had a ridiculous spin out of a triple team that, that he finished and, and put up softly, um, and still gets the line. Uh, they st- so they started doubling him, even with uh, Wendell Carter on him. And one time they didn't come f- quite fast enough, and Embiid was just like, okay. And then, even as the double team was coming, he was dunking with two hands. Uh, because you just right now he is he is simply unstoppable by one person, um, and then defensively, like obviously you said that the twenty two foot step back to ice it, um, the one possession where Embiid and Tobias got like six offensive rebounds. Yeah, that was a great possession, and got right. fouled like six times that they didn't call. That was a that was a genuine bullying, and not in a uh, not in a last year sense where the fake uh, it was a fake, fake bullying. bullying. Yeah, um, he was a monster on the glass all night. I mean, the and then defensively, like he blocked Wendell Carter on a fadeaway. Um, his hands on steals and at the rim are another level. Just anticipating everything. He's the best creator on the team, especially without Ben or Shake, but but probably just with everyone. Um, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how good he is. Um, he is, and then to be, and then to be, and to have fifty. Uh, and still, like, late in the game, in the fourth quarter, and be, like, repeatedly orchestrating the offense to get the ball to Tobias in the post because he had a mismatch with Garrett, Garrett Temple on him and being like, no, no, that's, that's the play, and, like, you know, sort of demonstratively orchestrating it there. It's, it is, you know, they're the Bulls. They're not a great team, obviously, but it's just w- wildly special to see him do this 
and be at the top of his game like he is after being, you know, all the struggles that we talked about in the low post and, you know, it's, it's, we're just really lucky. And uh, there's a world where the, where the, we could, we would have said the process worked if we got like one all-star out of it. Yeah. And like, you know, and it is like the three seed once and maybe, and maybe, you know, obviously postseason success remains to be seen, but, um, Drone beats the best player in the league, uh, and he's healthy and he's having a great time, and I am also having a great time. It's a, it is a very special, uh, unable to duplicate thing. Well, while I was watching last night, I thought of one of his funny earlier in his career quotes where he said that he learned to shoot by watching white guys on YouTube. Sure, but it reminded me when he was doing things last night, how many different things, how many different players he looks like at different times that I wonder if it, he looks like a, uh, a lot of his, like, you know how Kobe looked like somebody who just watched Michael Jordan and tried to do what Michael Jordan did. Like that, that's what Kobe always looked like to me, even his facial expressions and all of those things. When I watch Embiid, I see a guy who like watched a lot of YouTube of a lot of different players. So he does Dirk moves a lot of times. You see Dirk in him. You see Shaq in him. You see Patrick Ewing in him. You see Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon in him. Uh, like there are so many different. And then, and then some. And then some Kobe as well. As well. Yeah, right. Some Kobe. Uh, there are just so many different things in him that he's he is he is become and and what it all coalesces into is a is that nobody is like him, right? Like it, it's hard in history even, in the history of the NBA, to come up with a player of his size that has his varied skill set. You could probably say that if Elijah Wan were alive today, or not alive, if he's alive, <laughs> if Elijah Wan were playing today. Just he, killed him, just killed him yeah, right here. Just he'd be shooting threes and, and he was pretty versatile, but he was also not the size of Embiid. And yeah. you could say that David Robinson was incredibly versatile. He was, but he wasn't nearly as dominant as Embiid is. So I don't, I don't think that there's a historical comparison to Joel, really, I, you know, given what he's able to do on the floor. It is a, a massively um, impressive thing. And, I, like, we're only, you know, 20, what are we, 30 games into the season, whatever. So there's... A, People keep reminding there's a lot of season to go before the MVP award is voted on. But the truth is, is that when LeBron walks into the HGH store in Miami, it's like a hair salon and he brings a picture of Embiid and says like, this is what I want to be like. Like that is the difference between- <laughs> That's a nonsense sentence. There's no, so it isn't. Like, odd things in that sentence. That is, that is the it. difference between LeBron and Embiid right now. How, I would propose- He wants his hair. I would propose this. Yeah, oh, yeah, the hair's there too. That Embiid win the MVP and they create another award for the person who is 36 and 80% of what he was at 30. And like they can give that award to LeBron and then uh, Joel can win the MVP because the only people who think right now that LeBron is the MVP is one of like two kinds of people. One, a basketball writer who is on the clutch payroll or two, somebody who has been arguing on the internet 
for five years that LeBron is better than Michael Jordan and feels like this would give them more ammunition that they need. Because this year is not a lifetime achievement award. If, if it were, then LeBron would still come in second, as he uh, is for his entire career second, then he would come in second to Embiid. It is for this year. And if it's for this year, then Joel Embiid is not only the MVP, but as you said, the best player in the league. LeBron is second to Embiid in almost every statistical category, while also not as good if you just watch the games. You know, I just, there's a, LeBron has a better chance. There's a better chance that someone could convince me that LeBron is not balding than he is the most valuable player. That's it. And to me, honestly, like doing the, doing the Le, Le, LeBron shtick of like that, you're, it like lessens how good Joel Embiid is. Like, I don't even need to talk about any other players in the league. Like he's playing a different sport. Um, what people are going to do whatever they do. The media is going to do whatever they're going to do. But I, I, what is happening right now is just like a genuinely special thing. Like, look at his. I mean, just like I'm looking at his numbers, and it's like, it's just it's. I mean, rarely do you see the like the combination of beautiful to watch and the, and actually just looking at the numbers is making me like smile, bringing joy. He's unbelievable. He's he's the best player in the league right now, and he's uh, I've you know. The comments about, you know, let's talk about that. Like, the comments that Embiid's saying about, like, wanting to do it for Philadelphia, right. place for the fans, place for the city, all that stuff. That is the, like, yeah. that is the, like, Brian Dawkins, Allen Iverson um, part of it. I, I'm sorry that I'm this person now, but he's just so good that he's turning me into, like, a very earnest, sincere guy. Mike, it's the time everyone's been waiting for this week's By Nature Pet Foods Soft Shit Award. Who gets it? It's tough. It hasn't really been to the, I would say, dictionary definition of the soft shit award. Mm-hmm. Right. It hasn't been super soft shit. And mm-hmm. so I'm between a couple things. Okay. Um, but I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to give it to Carson Wentz. <laughs> <laughs> That is, dude, I thought you were going to come in with something weak. You came in with strong shit. You get the strong shit award. That's fair. Wow. Yeah. Well get done. out of here. Enjoy, enjoy Indianapolis. I never. <laughs> that is amazing. I love it. Speaking of soft shit and by nature, got an email from someone who got one of the by nature samples. He, he has two cats. And um, I thought it was a really good email about By Nature. I think I can officially say that our cats are addicted to By Nature. When we adopted them, the vets told us they might have a seafood allergy and then we'd likely have to monitor their diet. It's also likely they have a grain allergy, so that leaves us with limited food options. Before we tried By Nature, soft shit doesn't even begin to explain what we occasionally had to deal with. Think of it as a small-scale version of the Exorcist pea soup scene. Ever since we switched, I can honestly say that their business has been much more solid. They also both love it, which is a nice benefit. In fact, one of them now refuses to eat chicken. Uh, All she wants is by nature. So that is a fucking great endorsement of by nature. It is, uh, we, we, the soft shit award is named for by nature because if you're, you know, you walk your dog and in this case, cat, uh, you don't want to see like messy 
shit, it's hard to pick up and it means that your, your pet's not healthy. No more soft shit when you switch to by nature. No, no, no. Firm, well-formed shit is what you'll be picking up. And that's because it is healthier. Uh, your, your, your pet is going to get more nutrients out of it because it's made better. It's just made better. It's more nutrient rich. It's slow cooked. It's made with better ingredients. This is all legit stuff, real stuff. Super fusion is what they call it. Better proteins, super ingredients, super probiotics, um, stuff that, that the sort of ingredients that you would see going into high quality human food, right? Apple cider vinegar, spinach, blueberries, ginger, coconut oil. And when you look at the ingredients, look what's listed first. It's always the protein. It's the salmon. It's the turkey. If you care about your pet and you want your pet to be as healthy as your pet can be, by nature, pet food is where you want to go. A new promo code and a new place to buy it. Amazon is a great place to buy by nature pet foods. They have a whole store on Amazon now. Use promo code 20RTRS, 20RTRS at Amazon for by nature. You'll get 20% off your first order. Also, they are prime eligible, so free shipping as well if you're a prime member. So uh, by nature pet foods, never had a recall, been in business 40 years, family owned, family operated. Uh, really great. So go to amazon.com, look up by nature, use promo code 20RTRS for 20% off your first order. By nature pet food, the official pet food of the Ricky. So the, uh, the quote afterwards, I'll just read the quote. Can I just read the quote? Um, there's two specific quotes, I think, that I thought were good from Embiid. One, the fans are always there. So I think someone asked him about because when he hit four, when he hit that uh, turnaround, he motioned to the the non-existent crowd in a very uh, Embiid slash Iverson way, and he said, "The fans are always there for me when I play. Um, always mention uh, that playing in Philly. I always mention that playing in Philly. I have a lot of pride. I play for the fans and I play for the city." All my goals when it comes to basketball are related to the city of Philadelphia. So I feel like they're here with us, even though they're not. I always feel their presence. It's like a made up quote, <laughs> you know? And then after the game, uh, or uh, otherwise he said, and this wasn't Philly related, but he said, the only difference from last year is not so much above coaching. It's more about me being willing to dominate every single minute that I'm on the floor. Last year, I was going through a rough time. It was just not there. And the moves that Daryl made, adding all that shooting is also helping a lot. It's just about me turning the corner and me being willing to dominate every second, all on defense and on offense. I mean, yeah, true. And the, I mean, the Tobias quote already saying, who's the best kid I'll, my, when my kids ask who's the best player I played with, I'll say Embiid. Yeah. It's an honor to be out there with them on the floor. Yeah. We're, friggin', we're doing like a friggin' war movie out here uh, <laughs> with just <laughs> honoring our city and our country and shit. Embiid gets uh, the purple heart of basketball. He should. Yeah. He really should. It's beautiful. It's great. We, we could talk about him forever. I'm, I just, enjoy, I'm appreciating it. I'm appreciating it. I'm not taking it for granted. I am uh, getting the lamest tattoo of all time of, you know, a, maybe like a Transformers-esque Rollins plus Dawkins plus Iverson into like a seven foot two person. It's going to be awful. It's Power Rangers. I don't know who I am anymore. He's making me a worse person and uh, <laughs> I'm happy about it. I'm going to get Abby to draw that. I'll get I'll get her to draw a bionic Iverson Embiid yeah. Dawkins Rollins and for some reason like Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on there just for God there, knows to, why. to make it truly Mike 
to make it yeah, yeah truly stick out. Um, I, also, I would say about the game last night that he definitely didn't look as creaky as he did against Houston, just physically. Against Houston, he was... It looked like he was laboring. It looked like the back was more of an issue. I didn't I didn't think that was the case against Chicago. He definitely was more effective defensively in the second half, but it really it didn't look like anything other than just the way he was playing. I, I thought it was a good sign the way he looked. I, I wish he didn't play so many minutes in consecutive games, but he didn't it didn't look visually to me like the back was bothering him the same way it was against no, Houston. Either great. He could have done a friggin' full gymnastics floor routine. He was having a great time. He, I mean, he played 50, minute, 50 points in 35 minutes. Like, that's... I, we're, we're on a different plane right now. It's just unbelievable. And I thought a nice Tobias game. We can move on to another human being. Uh, yeah, I wanted to I talk Tobias, about Tobias. Everybody else was kind of disappeared for most of the game, which kind of tends to happen when somebody else is as hot as Joel is. Um, but then Tobias got, got cooking a little bit, and he distributed. He... There was one time when he didn't um, he didn't go up strong in traffic and it got blocked by Dan Gafford and then the next time uh, he had a similar play he went right hard at Pat Williams and dunked it. I like seeing that adjustment. I like seeing. I mean Ben does that as all they, all, all of them do. All three of those guys when like somebody gets gets them they come back and and decide like well I'm gonna fucking go up hard this time and I think that that is that is a sign of uh, I don't know I don't know what the sign is. it's a sign of making adjustments and also being pissed off when other people uh, defend you, which I think is great. Um, I also like, I, I, I do want to c- call out, you know, part of the, Tobias, the, the biggest thing about Tobias that we talk about is how he doesn't shoot quick enough, how he is reluctant to just get it right off the catch or off the off the dribble behind the screen and, and sometimes dribbles the air of the ball. And still he only took two threes in this game, which is obviously not enough. But uh, the other thing is his vision and for a while, it was just like, he's just not seeing it. He's not seeing the core, all mm-hmm. this stuff. But I do think that, I don't know if it's just empowering him without Ben or just him feeling more comfortable with his teammates. But I do think that his vision has improved significantly this year. He had that, uh, like that basically half-court lob to Matisse. Um, that was really nice. I think he's just like moving the ball well. He's seeing stuff. Um, I like when they run Toby through screens off ball. Um, because I think get, just getting him moving as a straight line driver, he's He's big and and very hard to bump off of his spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that helps. And uh, yeah, he can finish with either hand. He's doing great. I just and fifty piece chicken McNugget. He's a he's an automatic quote. Um, I I love Tobias. He can keep his money. Yeah, you've wow. He can keep it now. He can keep his money. Wow. Everybody keeps their money. Everybody gets more. Yeah. Josh Harris, give people more money. Go for it. The uh, uh, being good tax. Um, yes. The, you, you mentioned his playmaking without Ben. The, the other thing that increased over the last two games without Simmons there is he had 27 rebounds in the last two games and 15 against Houston and then 12 against the Bulls. And you're talking mm-hmm. about basically for his career, what an eight rebound a game guy. And it there very few Tobias Harris went wild on the boards games. Like really just seems like he got six or eight rebounds every single game. And the... He is certainly, not only has he made quicker decisions this year, but the taking advantage of his size or yeah. taking advantage of mismatches is, like, he went right at, uh, what's the, the rookie in the, Pat Williams is his name, the rookie yeah. in the Bulls. Um, he, he just went right at it, you know? Mm-hmm. He, it, it was, I thought it was a, 
a great game for him. And much to AU's dismay, Tobias Harris continues to put up great game after great game after great game. So Yeah. The threes and it's the thing that yeah. Let's talk for a second about the about the threes because again, I mean Danny shot well, uh, but there's just not enough guys. Like the bench was the whole bench total was over two on threes. <laughs> like that's just not that's not what we should be doing. That's not what we should be doing. Is that really what it was? Over two? O- over two. Corkmaz <laughs> and Isaiah Joe each missed one. That's it. Well, so um, Mike Mike Scott hasn't taken a, a, a shot attempt. He hasn't even looked at the rim. In, well, he's since he got back. He's physically. He must be physically. I mean, he's never been shy about shooting. Mike Scott ever. Just I, just let him. He was, I think, a couple. Not might have been last year. I don't remember the years at this point. But either last year, or the year before, he when he got really really cold and he stopped doing stuff. Hmm. There was a time when he just like couldn't couldn't and he like stopped looking at the rim basically. It's it's frustrating. It is uh, what, what I wonder, and I I almost brought it up when we were on with Zach, was like, you know, prior to the season, we talked about, okay, Dar- here comes Daryl Morey, architect of the Rockets, in in combination with Dan Tony, architect of the Rockets, like pace and space, uh, just get getting as many threes up as possible, whipping it around the corner, like every every shot that you can take from three if you're open, take that shot. And he's coming to Philadelphia, and here's Joel Embiid, here's Ben Simmons. Like, it's not going to be that. Right. Um, But to go from, I thought it would be closer. You know, I thought it would be like, okay, we're taking this. Seriously, this is the, you know, Daryl's philosophy in the league is, I think, uh, at least attuned to math. Three is more than two. And the math says to take more threes, and the Sixers aren't doing it. Um, so I, I did figure, and that's obviously in concert with Doc. Doc is not like a, you know, wildly analytics uh, guy. Um, so I, I, I didn't expect it to be that, but I did think it would be closer, and I, I just wonder what Daryl's thinking as far as, like, I've, I've, been this, I've been this person for a long time. Here are my, like, guiding principles, and now I'm on this team who is great, Obviously, he's not like complaining, but they're not nearly getting as many threes up as they need to be. And I wonder how much of that is like pissing him off or like is he, you know, wanting to try to correct that like through communicating with with Doc or if that's just going to be a personnel thing that he just brings in more guys that are capable of doing it. Obviously, Daryl should know that when you bring guys in to shoot threes in Philadelphia, they will forget how to do it for at least a long stretch. Mm-hmm. So that has to be like sort of factored into your timeline. But yeah, I just I was just wondering, I just it's a, it's a curious thing that that the Sixers are a Daryl Morey team is is this low on the league like 27th or whatever attempts per game uh, in threes. So I I think it's probably a couple of things. First of all, I would say that there's no chance that Daryl Morey doesn't notice. <laughs> There's, there's simply sure. no chance. The other thing I would say is that a few weeks ago, somebody asked him what his favorite on Twitter, asked him what his favorite all-in-one statistic was. And he said point differential, which I thought was interesting. And especially considering the Sixers is not commensurate with their record, you know, uh, they've been better in crunch time than, than maybe they're, like there's probably regression at some point coming. All of those things said, I know there's no chance that Daryl Morey doesn't notice 
uh, and there's no chance that he's considering what the next move is. I think there's a couple of things that mitigate that, though. The first thing is that, remember, they hired, and I want to preface this with, I am sure that Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers have a good working relationship and mutual respect. Sure of it. But they hired Doc Rivers before they hired Daryl Morey. It happened. And they hired Doc Rivers without knowing for sure that they were getting Daryl Morey. Maybe they thought they were getting him or they thought they could, but my guess is they did not know for sure. And to hire Doc Rivers, if you remember back to the... um, even the press conference of both Doc and Daryl, there was the suggestion that it was the Doc and Daryl show, not just the Daryl show. So I think to a certain extent, Daryl is very smart, it seems like, at managing the sort of like relationship managing. One of the things that I think is really smart that he does is that because he's online, he blows his, his players up online, right? In a positive way. When somebody has a good game, he's he's out there saying, this guy's awesome. This guy should be MVP. It's not something that a lot of GMs do. And I think he's also smart in that if the team's winning and Doc was here first and Doc's a like well-respected coach and that sort of thing, like I think he's just sort of laying back a little bit and letting them do what they do. And if they struggle... I would say that he probably has answers ready, right? And I think he probably has answers ready for when he believes it is the right time or the right opportunity to take the team to the the next level. But I don't think he's dealing with a situation where he's going to go in and go, Doc, everybody's got to shoot more. Talk to the team. Everybody's got to shoot more threes. Tobias has got to shoot seven. Joel's got to shoot five, yada, yada, yada. I just think he's sort of like laying back a little bit and playing it smart. You know, that would be my guess. That's my, the, yeah, the thing, I mean, on the one hand, it's a matter of like, you know, as far as acquisitions go, it's a matter of when's the right time. When's the, when's the height of the value Mm -hmm. knowing that home court, I think matters a little bit, but it, Probably doesn't matter a ton. Well, they're seven um, so and eight think, on the road, so it matters some. Yeah, you know. So I think that I think that it's a matter of finding. You know, it's more important to find value at the at the right time, value wise, than it is to do it like right now. But I mean, the bench is currently struggling very much, um, and that's made worse obviously without Shake, without Ben, um, and with Korkmaz being as as cold as he's been. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was a good. Uh, article in the Athletic from Derek Bodner about the like you know the Sixers take the fewest pull up threes in the league, and they take the third most pull up twos in the league, which means that seventy five percent of their pull up jumpers come from inside the three point arc, which is the highest rate in the league, which is it's, a lot of that is Joel. Yeah, but it's not all Joel. Like a lot of his Seth and I think Tobias and uh, it's just it's a more forgiving. Hey, play free, but also, you know, try to play a little free outside the three-point line. Uh, they are like leading the league in, in free throw attempts and everything. It's just it's just a matter of like how can you find that middle ground and, and just too often for me they're they're settling for um, weaker shot in the mid-range. Like Embiid can take whatever shots he wants, but like we need we need to be able to count on guys. And we've talked about this a bunch of times, but it's, 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 I think it's going, as they're winning, it's not a problem, but when they 
when they start to lose yeah. and they start to go up against tougher teams and it becomes like a playoff series. And it's like that repeatedly taking 10, 15 fewer threes than their opponent is going to make a difference. Like the math will eventually add up. Yeah. I, um, I, and I'm sure he, uh, like I can think of, there are a few teams in the, just in the Eastern Conference. You could see the math adding up against Utah. You, you could just see it happening. You know, you could yeah. see it visually. You're like, oh my God, the, they're just too many. And I would say the person, I don't know what the numbers are, but you mentioned Seth Curry. He takes a stunning amount of 18 footers. Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know what the numbers they, Because say. they fly out on him yeah. when he's shooting threes and he's not, he doesn't have much lift on his shot mm-hmm. and he's small. And so I think he has to pump fake and go rather than like either rise up or, or sidestep or whatever it is. I think he just he has to take advantage of, of the space because he there, you know, NBA athletes and length are, you know, trouble him sometimes. And sometimes he looks good, like in the uh what was that in the Utah game I thought he looked good, was that what it was? Um and then but then or the Houston game he looked good and then this Houston game it was just like yeah. he seemed like because there were quicker guards around him that also had a little length, he just seemed like Everything was a contested long two, or you just didn't quite have. Um, it was a good Danny game. It was a good Danny game. Uh, I had a, I was ready to, to be like, there, you know, what are Danny's two plays a game that he acts like an absolute lunatic on, and there really wasn't one. Um, but I, the sort of thesis I have come to find uh, in thinking about it is that there is always one the Danny, a game. And it wasn't okay. Danny tonight, or last night, it was Korkmaz. Korkmaz was the Danny. Oh, that that's so mean, two, though. <laughs> in that he had two passes to absolutely no one. Uh, just moments when the brain leaves the body and you just uh, are un- unable to control the actions of your person. Um, and so I'd, I would say Korkmaz was the Danny of the game. Uh, those two passes were were absolutely shocking in that they went to no one. Although there was a nice Corkmas dunk in traffic, which I always love. Um, so yeah, good good Danny game. But well, we'll, you know, keep in mind that some someone is is inheriting that virus every night, um, and usually it's Danny for just a couple possessions. It's but uh, this time it was Corkmas. Our general attitudes toward Danny Green are very different. We got an email. The subject line from Dan said, "I just can't be mad at Danny Green." And he says, I empathize with Spike Eskin's facial expressions when Mike is really digging into the frustration of watching Danny Green. His face is my outlook. I just can't be mad at him. Uh, I don't know why, but I have a few options I'm vetting. He's so calm and he always looks like things are going to work out. He played for San Antonio and LA and won a title. And he seems so intelligent all the time. He finds great positions. I'm the same fan who's been critical of Matisse and his offense. My brain knows I'm giving Danny Green a pass, but it just can't change my mood. What is the proper impartial view? You're not going to get it on this podcast, I don't think. No, I, I think I am impartial. I think I, no. I, I compliment Danny's. I love. You just Danny. named the bad player of the game after Danny Green. No, I, there are two plays a game <laughs> when there is some level of disconnect from brain no. and body, and Danny is usually the recipient of that illness. And this time it was Korkmaz for, for those two plays. Um, I did think it was a pretty good Matisse game. It's, it's fun to see Matisse kind of just like tour around the country covering uh, some of the most explosive offensive players in the league uh, and seeing what he can do against them. And I thought like he did a great job on Zach Levine, especially early on. Um, I think Zach was basically scoreless like for most of the first quarter. Um, and they kept, I think like 
they took Matisse out late in the first, and then Zach scored, and they were like, and Doc was like, oh, well, then you get the fuck back in there. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna stay. You're gonna match his minutes basically. Um, and I thought that was that was pretty cool for Matisse that you know Zach Levine is what the second leading scorer in the league, and and Matisse is you know ma- mirroring his minutes type of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, he you know he dribbled off his leg and and did a little. Uh, annoying stuff offensively, but he's he's this is who he is. Without Ben, Matisse becomes like invaluable to this team. Yeah, way too couple, important. Yeah, he had a couple yeah. incredible blocks on Kobe White's jumpers. He had that huge deflection at the end off off Levine's leg to seal it. Like when he gets time, like he's just. I, I it, it was interesting because I think that when he's in there for 18, 20 minutes a game, like you can tell he's going a hundred all the time, and I think he actually settled in a little bit more in this game in that like he knew he was going to get a lot of minutes and didn't feel the need to gamble as much because he had his responsibilities. I feel like he's not he's not gambling as much this year as he has in the years past, uh, it, both at Washington and, and his rookie year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he just he, – he impacts the game on such a level defensively that there were – there was another athletic article that I read. I, I forget who, who wrote it, but, like, Matisse – carries the defense when Joel's not there. Like, Matisse is the... is, is Obviously, he, he hurts the offense, like, <laughs> significantly. Yeah. But as far as defensively goes, like, you need him on the court when Joel is not because then you have a chance. Because he needs somebody. to be able to disrupt things and cause turnovers because you don't have anybody to do what Joel does, essentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, and I, even though Dwight... I thought I had a, a, a good Dwight game, although the, the turnover with the him and the Tyrese Maxey moment... Uh, that Archie Diacono uh, right. picked off was yeah. absolutely aggravating. It got me to off my couch and almost throw something. But I thought it was. I thought he was more in control. I thought he was rebounding well. I thought he was going up strong. Like that was a that was a the best you're going to get from Dwight Howard type of game these days. I thought Matisse did a good job. I thought a little. I thought he did a good job on Zach Levine. I thought a little bit of what Zach Levine looked like in the beginning was. A little Zach Levine created. He seemed like he was short on his jumpers most of the night. I, I don't know how many uh, uh, road games they've done, but there's only so good a job that you can do on Levine, who has just become yeah. a. His body has filled out in a in a like a noticeable way over the last couple of years, and he's become very sure of himself. and uh, And he's a fucking. Like, he's the kind of offensive player. I mean, did he end up with 828 points, I imagine, last night or something close to it, even though it yeah, seemed like not, it was a terrible game? 928 from the field with 30 points. Yeah. So, like, you know, but not, you know, it, we Matisse prevented him, helped prevent him from the eventual, I thought there was going to be a string at some point where he hit four straight threes and, like, basically broke the game, and he was never able mm-hmm. to do that, you know? Yeah. His combination of freakish athleticism and a, like tough shot making is is impressive he's just uh sometimes takes bad shots and, and matisse forced a lot of those and mm-hmm. is, is mostly a zero on the defensive end yeah i think he it's funny he he like definitely runs out on shooters it doesn't seem like he's like lou williams on defense that he's not trying at all he looks like he's trying um mm-hmm. he uh what was i gonna say uh, I fucking lost it anyway. Uh, I like a lot oh, of guys he's, on Bulls. I would he's take, a better I would passer. Like eight of them. Real quick, he's a better passer than he used to be too, Levine. He's a better creator than he used to be. He's not like 
a point guard or anything, but he's better than he used to be, I think. Yeah. I mean, they basically, like, get, hand him the ball mm-hmm. and and just tell him to go do stuff. And so, yeah, I, I there's a lot of guys. The Bulls are bad, um, but there's a lot of guys on the team. I, I really like – I've always liked Wendell Carter. I think he's a good player, and I think Jim Boylan, like, fucked him up, and I, I think he's going to be mm-hmm. – he's going to be good for a long time. Thad, Thad is always fun to watch. It's cool that he, like – you know, he, he doesn't really stand a chance defending Joel, but it was he cool tried. that he's out there doing it. And yeah. he still has that awkward awkward hook shot that he can just sort of finish with. Um, there's a couple guys on this team that I would absolutely take just to, to fill out the bench with. And they'd probably be bad because this is how it goes. But uh, last year it was the Mavericks that had all those guys, and we got, ended up getting Seth. It was like, man, it would be so nice if we had just one of these guys and we'd be okay. Yeah. And so I feel like the Bulls are Bulls are that this season as far as, uh, as, far as bad teams go. Maxi. Tough. Yeah. Tough he, tough stuff for Maxi. I think he, uh, you know, he's being uh, thrust, especially without Ben or Shake. You need to play him. Like, you can't, you can't bench him at this point. There's just no one to, to take those minutes. Um, he's, you know, on the good side, like, I, I, he always has a nose for the ball. He has a, an impressive ability to finish awkwardly. He is not getting any foul calls. None. Absolutely none. I'm starting to get upset about it. Maxi is not like a demonstrative player. Like he's not a guy who yells at the refs type of thing. But there's a couple times when he's just getting whacked and bumped and everything, and the refs are just not giving it to him. I think it's because he's he's kind of just he's he's got he's both herky jerky and fast, which I think is an odd combination. In that he moves weird. He kind of there's just a, an odd rhythm to him, and so I think if he was either a little bit slower or not as herky-jerky, he would be able to get seen. The refs could see, like, oh, that's a bump. Like, you can see him going flying. But he just sort of moves oddly. Um, and so I think that they're not realizing that he's getting bumped and he and he sort of stays stays somewhat in control when that happens. Um, but he'll get those calls eventually. And, and I do think he did a little bit more creating yesterday, um, finding teammates, not just not just looking for the floater. But, but yeah, so, I mean, he's not taking threes. He's not getting the line. Um, he that you know the the lazy inbounds pass to Dwight was enough to like bench him for a month. They need um, another. They they just need another guard. Even when Shake comes back, guard. they yeah. just need another like, guard. That's it. Yeah, like I mean, go get like George Hill or or Delon Wright or like Sadaransky or something. Mm-hmm. Like get somebody that can that can do that so Shake Shake can play. You know, a little off ball, a little on ball. Just it, it'd be really nice. if we're 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 at the point where it, I get that you know. I don't want them to be trading first round picks or future stuff that that for like half a season of rental, but I would like some artful moves to be made to get a, another adult in the room on the bench that could, you know, create a little bit and, and just stabilize things because it's he- headline. It's Mike wants enough. adult in the room. Um, I do. Yeah, Mike and wants Isaiah to take. Joseph keep, needs, keeps needing to play. Yeah, I, I would he, say so he, too. I I would like him to like Korkmaz is is giving them almost nothing right now. Um, I think he'll he'll get hot, and and be better. I I always love the after a bad game or a stretch of bad games the video after after games of seeing them putting in work, um, just getting shots up after after games is in a motivational type of way. It's all I'm a sucker for that. Um, but I do think that Isaiah Joe is I I've been impressed with him defensively. I think he's I think he's active. I think he gets his hands in there. I think he 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 moves his body well. I just think he's still small. Um, but I want I, I want to see more of him. I think, especially now, it's like just run him out there, take take ten minutes. Mike, I have a uh, an email 
from a listener about L.L. Pavorsky. I would like to read it to you, and you can determine whether the email is a fake one that, that he commissioned or a real one. Okay? Let's do it. Oh, how strange it is to listen to a podcast for five plus years, laugh at all the inside jokes, but have, wait, hold on, but have zero friends that listen to the podcast. I live near New York City. I was looking to get my wife something for her anniversary slash pregnancy, so obviously I reach out to LL. When I told my wife I wanted to take her to a jeweler, she said, so how did you hear about this guy? Can you imagine me trying to explain? For some reason, I said, oh, he's a Philly guy that I came across and showed her a picture. And she said, wait, are those two a duo selling jewelry? And I had to say, no, that's actually Furkan Korkmaz, but LL is the guy next to him. Eventually, I explained, you know, whenever someone gets a dog, I say, well, trust that you're also getting a big barker. It's the same podcast that works with LL. What do you think? True or false? True. True. Does sound, does sound like a, a reasonable thing to me. I would love that after Furkan's career, he goes into business as a jeweler with LL. They would be a, a great duo, I think. Um, until that point, LL has some help. But mostly a solo operation was our original sponsor on the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. People from all over. Look, you don't even have to be in Philly to get jewelry from L.L. Pavorsky or an engagement ring. We've seen engagement rings all the way across the country. I even think he has sold some international engagement rings to Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners. 211 Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners have purchased engagement rings from LL. Or you don't need an engagement ring. You're already, ma already married. Maybe you don't want to get married. Who the fuck knows? Doesn't matter. You could be like that guy. Maybe you need an anniversary gift. Maybe you need a pregnancy gift. Maybe you need just a gift because you're a good person. LL Pavorsky is where you want to go. He's the only jeweler you can trust in America. He's the only trustworthy jeweler. Uh, he's going to take time with you, and don't worry. It's, you don't have to be super rich or anything. He can handle whatever whatever your you know price range is. LL can handle it from very little to very lot. I've seen you know him deal with both. So uh, by appointment only, whether it's online, on the phone, in person, it's all by appointment only now. So 215-627-2252. The store been for over 30 years at 707 Walnut. You can also email him, lee at llpavorsky.com or tweet at him at llpavorsky. He always supports our charity efforts, uh, Providence Animal Center and Coded by Kids, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Please don't tell your significant other that you heard about him on a podcast. <laughs> so true, so true. Good advice. So I wanted, you know, obviously before we wrap up the pod, I had a few more things I wanted to get to. The one thing I wanted to make sure we mention is wanted to, we were on the low post with Zach Lowe on, uh, came out on Friday. Just would like to extend my sincere gratitude to Zach for having us on. That is a, no joke, it is a massive platform. And for him to dedicate half of a pod to our silly shit is um, was very nice. And also, I would like to extend my thanks to the lots and lots and lots of people who reached out both on Twitter and email saying how much they enjoyed it and that like they were excited to see us on there. It was like that they felt like they made it. So I, I can uh, unfortunately focus on the small but vocal group of people who are obsessed with uh, 
hating me and us or mostly me, but like that the uh, that we are the band that once played the clubs and isn't cool anymore. And it rings in my ears a lot, far too much. And I should give more, far more uh, mental space to the people who are kind, which f and and appreciative and uh, and have joined us along this. So it was a, I think I thought it was a nice moment for us to be on it. And I really appreciate Zach for for inviting us. I am uh, a full sellout. I'm the um, what's the friggin' like a Lumineers or something. That's who I am. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be that. That's, that's how I feel. The quote, my favorite quote about that was a. I feel like I can't. You know, I'm even gonna bring up the quote because I, I can feel you like laughing about it. So I don't even want to bring it up. Um, I. We, you gave him the soft shit award earlier. Uh, you gave Carson Wentz the soft shit award. We, you know, Carson Wentz, Eagles quarterback, traded to the Colts. We, we are a Sixers podcast, but it was a big sports story. We got an email from Greg that said, I always appreciate your Eagles takes, even though you don't discuss them frequently. Carson Wentz clearly operated under the shadow of Nick Foles after the Super Bowl. Then the Eagles draft Jalen Hurts. Now that Wentz is gone, I have to wonder, if the Eagles never drafted Jalen Hurts, do you think Carson Wentz is still in Philadelphia right now? Mike, your opinion. Um, I mean, maybe. He, he certainly took it personally, but it seemed like the things that the problems with Carson sprung up, you know, at least started before Hurts got here, and he wasn't good uh, two years ago. Um, they sort of fell into the playoffs. I, I, I just think he's, you know, the, the reports about him not, you know, not talking to Doug Peterson. That's For two months. Want. For two months, that's not what you want. That's, that's a Sixers-type storyline. Yeah. Uh, we can't be having that on other, on other teams. They, they, they can't, they just simply can't contain it the way that Sixers, the Sixers can. It's just, it's just they're not on the level. Um, I think maybe, I think if, if, but, if if they didn't draft Hurts, that Wentz maybe has a better year or gets more of a chance to dig himself out of it. But if he's not coachable and he thinks that he's like, you know, the best football player in the league when he's you know throwing interceptions <laughs> directly at players and taking sacks and uh, you know he he's just been and not being a good leader of the team like he's just he just was bad like he was straight up bad like maybe he gets better maybe he you know after. Uh, a new like a change of scenery and you know further recovering from the injuries he's taken maybe he has another couple good years left in him in in Frank Reich's system but I just think that he he's been bad and he was good for like a couple years in there but I'm like it's been it's been bad for a while like let's move on let's let's get out of here and I, I would I would give Hertz a full season to like see like let's he's he's a awesome guy great leader. Uh, has total juice with the ball in his hand. I don't know that he's uh, an excellent, you know, accuracy and and has enough pop in that arm. But I would certainly give him a chance because he seems like intensely coachable um, and and a good like guy well, that people would rally behind. And, and by the way, the Eagles are so far away from contending that I would I'm I'm not worried about like wasting a year because it's like we're fucking we're, there, there's a long way to go. By the way, Hertz dealt with in a real co in a real college town. Um, dealt with exactly what Wentz dealt yeah. with, and in, totally. a, in a very different way. Um, At a younger age, far yeah. younger age. So, I think the question is framing it a little wrong. 
most of the reason they drafted Jalen Hurts was because of Carson Wentz. So you you can say that if they don't draft Hurts, maybe Wentz doesn't act like this. But most of the reason they drafted Hurts was because of Wentz. And if you can't handle like it, it's somehow everybody in Philly now is terrified of getting a good backup quarterback because oh, how's Hurts going to deal with that? <laughs> Look like. You can have a decent backup quarterback if your starting quarterback is good. Like, yeah. that's it. Look, my opinion is this. A quarterback has to do two things, basically. Be able to be a leader and throw the ball where it's supposed to go. That's it. And Carson Wentz was not good Neither. at being a leader or throwing the ball where it's supposed to go. It's it. It's like a pitcher who can't throw strikes. Like, I'm just... Come on. Let's not make this the, more difficult than it, it needs to be. The I mean... It, Howie Roseman is not absolved of blame here. No, like, of course not. Good, like it was still like a, it was still a, a, a weird pick after just months, right? After they gave Carson Wentz an intensely big deal. Yeah, it was, and now they have the biggest cap hit in NFL history. Like, well, no, I, mean, I think I think the deal came. The deal came before the 2019 season. Okay. Yeah, the, it didn't kick in until now, but the deal came after the 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 knee injury. Um, so it came in before last season. So, um, yeah. he's. I mean. Yeah, just yeah. the Eagles are so far away. They need they're just like how old they, they can't. They're the the fact that they're this old and this bad is was pretty remarkable. Like impressive, impressive maneuvering. And for Howie to still have his job is just like I don't know what. I don't. Well, they, I mean, like thanks for the Super Bowl, you know, forever. But like, holy crap! Well, the good thing about football is that three quarters of the contracts you can get rid of. So we'll see. Um, the not easy to stomach YouTube comment of the week brought to us by Kinetic Skateboarding, who I got two hoodies from this week, which I have to take back because they're actually a little small. It made me feel self-conscious because I'm always a medium. How I am I'm not a medium? But great stuff at Kinetic. Uh, use promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. Comes from Andrew, and we got this from a bunch of people. We were discussing who the next snake guy on the Sixers would be, and Andrew says, Danny Green definitely owns snakes and is a snake enthusiast. I believe he's even been featured in videos about it before. Yeah. Uh, that said, Dan J Danny Green's on an expiring deal anyway. Sure. Friend of the pod, uh, James Herbert, also sent that some, some Danny snake pictures to me. Hmm. Um, I think we said Danny. I think it was like it feels... Yeah. He's, He's definitely one of, one of the guys. Yeah. Let's, uh, I, let's do it. You know, odd dude. Love him. Big Danny guy. I do love him. Yeah. Well, you don't, though. You say you love him. Your actions I straight up do. And yeah. we are, I am able to be uh, <laughs> impartial about when he does crazy, stupid shit. <laughs> like, take a selfie about the Holocaust. You can't, you keep bringing that up. It was, it was crazy. It was a crazy thing to do. <laughs> It was an insane thing to do. You know I had to do it to him. You're a grown man. What are you doing? But he moves well uh, on the court. He's a smart player. He's clearly helpful to winning, and occasionally he does uh, intensely stupid shit. A couple of mailbag questions before we go. Remember, you can send them to writestrickysanchez at gmail.com. Uh, include a basketball and a non-basketball. Upcoming, we're going to have to do a mailbag-only pod as we are far backed up with your great questions. This comes from Jacob. Non-basketball question first. As someone who has never been to the Northeast and who has lived in the Midwest my entire life, I want to understand why people, guys in particular from Philly, have such a strong disdain toward other Northeastern cities. 
I always knew there was some bad blood, but I became intrigued when I heard Spike come off really strong against iconic New York City band The Strokes in the Carl Landry Record Club year-end pod. Despite being the 100th most popular band I can think of, Spike alleges they are, quote, the most overrated band ever. It made me think, wow, this guy must really hate New York, huh? What's the deal? Do all Philadelphians have a terrible traumatic experience in Boston, New York? New York? Where does all this hatred come from? As someone who has lived in, and you're in LA now, and I was in, I lived in LA for one year, my freshman year of college. I also lived in Chicago and, and here. Northeast sports rivalries and how they treat sports is just different than the rest of the country. It's just different. And I think the, I think Philadelphia has a um, inferiority complex compared to New York specifically, but like, it's just a real rivalry. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't think there was a place like, like that in Chicago. It's more akin to college sports rivalries. And the strokes, when I say overrated, I mean critically overrated, not most popular, not, I mean overrated in terms of critical. What do you think the Philly thing is with those other cities? Uh, yeah, I, I think some inferiority complex. I think it's also fun to, uh, it's fun for Philadelphia to hate people and other cities and all that stuff. Uh, I like the strokes. Um, they're probably a little overrated, but I like them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, I agree that it's like a more of a college thing. I think it's, I think there is a, there is a, there are some truisms about Philadelphia that, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, maybe longer, maybe just based on the the way that Philly, Philly fans are covered, whether Eagles fans are covered, Phillies fans are covered, et cetera, um, that I think Philadelphia fans have turned around and, like, sort of been like, well, if that's what you think about us, then we're going to, like, dial it up even more. And so I think that over the last 15, 20 years, especially with, like, you know, things on the Internet and, and the action news uh, theme song and all the crazy stuff that you see with the Super Bowl and celebrations and stuff. I think it's been like, yeah, this is who we are, and now we're even leaning into it more. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uh, very charming. Yeah, yeah, we eat shit when the fucking Eagles win. Hell yeah, go. we eat horse shit. Come on, man, who doesn't do that? And his basketball question, in your guys' Kyle Lowry conversation in the last pod, you mentioned that trading away Danny Green would create a hole in the team's roster. While I agree Danny is an important player for us, unless I'm misunderstanding something, as long as Josh Harris is willing to pay the tax, why wouldn't Daryl trade Danny Green before the deadline? The Sixers are capped out with their current contracts, and assuming Danny Green leaves in the offseason, his money is just gone. Wouldn't it make sense for Danny to be traded for a longer-term contract, even if the player being traded for is marginally worse than Danny? Additionally, Danny would have to be traded if the team has any plans of acquiring a borderline star player without giving up Simmons. It's possible to get Levine or even Lowry with Danny's other, with Danny other stuff, with the, or even Lowry's with Danny and other stuff. Even no star player is available at this deadline. Having a tradable contract with some years on it is valuable in itself. Uh, not trying to deny Danny's utility, but maybe he could be more valuable as a trade piece. I agree with all yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's there's certainly his his contract goes away, his expiring contract, and you don't just because the Sixers are over the cap, the Daryl wouldn't just be able to say, okay, Danny's gone, I'm going to go sign another guy for 15 million. Um, yeah, it doesn't work like that. So if you're if the numbers are on your books, then you can be over the cap without um, signing, having to sign them. So the the question is. Do trade Danny's to sort of keep that 
going. That space. And it's certainly a thought. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a thought. Um, By the way, Lowry is expiring too. Right. But I think that because Lowry is 30 million, I think that you would be able to use some of that. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Um, as I, yeah, this, this whole season I've been thinking like, you know, what is Daryl's ideal move? And I think because he's always been a like stars and scrubs type of guy. Um, I think that this, that it's a holding out for a bigger player, like a, like a Zach Levine or Bradley Beal or maybe Lowry, even if he's expiring, or somebody somebody like that. I just think that Daryl in Houston was so successful finding guys off the scrap heap and turning them into like, here's what you do, just do this. Whether that's Ben Mclemore or like Daniel House or you know even part of it, PJ Tucker. Um, not to mention guys from you know years ago, Kyle Lowry being one of them. Yeah. Um, and so I think that. I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen much of that this season yet. It's just been, you know, sort of steady as she goes. But I think that this is a weird year. I think. Well, steady as she goes, by the way, steady as she goes, aside from the giant possibility of trading Ben Simmons and multiple first round picks and our young players. Yeah, well, nothing happened yet. Nothing happened yet for the Sixers. And and really, nothing has happened outside of the hardened trade for the whole league. Yep. and so we don't even know what the second half of the schedule is going to look like, but I would, my, I think there's a better chance of trying to do a, you know, Danny and all the, you know, scrub contracts that no one's playing uh, on the bench, whether it's Ferguson or Fournier and those guys, uh, for a for a bigger a bigger fish than it is, and and then like filling out the bench with buyout types, than it is trying to really make maneuvers with in that like middle like packaging Mike Scott and you know Poirier for somebody at eight, for 8 million or something I think that I think that Daryl just dreams dreams bigger than that yeah well and he has to be careful who knows how many moves they have in them you know and he's right when he says that they are more asset rich than other contenders but they're also yeah. less complete than other contenders too I think so um, they need a bigger piece, in my opinion, but uh, we'll see. Um, one more, two more. One from Simon, a non-basketball question. I'm interested because uh, I know the answer to my field, but I don't know yours. Both of you went to colleges that are known to specialize in the fields that you later went into. If someone wanted to enter the entertainment industry, like in radio or comedy TV, how important is it to go into a school that prioritizes that? Love the pod as a younger fan, not born as a Sixers fan. I'm learning a lot that I wouldn't be able to hear elsewhere. Thanks. For your field, how important is that? Uh, it's not. Okay. It's not at all. It's, um, I mean, if you want to be, I don't know, if you want to be uh, work in an agency or a production company, maybe the interview process there is more like where'd you go to school type of thing. But I think because so much of this business is just like, like humans, like, are you able to hang? Like, do you seem like like cool and competent type of thing? And no one's going to be like, did you go to college for that? I think, especially in comedy writing or, like, production, like, you know, there's me and my, a bunch of my friends and I all have, like, you know, massive student loan debt. And it's, like, the stuff that I'm doing now and that I've been doing for the last 10 years, it's, like, you know, you learn on the job, like, I'm sure there's some level of professionalism and stuff that I learned at Ithaca and some, like, you know, 
fun stuff. With how, you know, obviously, like, the basics of filmmaking and stuff, whatever. But mm-hmm. the, you, f- you figure this shit out on the job, like, if you just, like, were a PA. Like, so if I could do it, if I could do it again, like, obviously, I made a lot of friends and, and relationships in college and everything. But I would probably have just, like, moved out here when I was 18 and just started PAing. And because it's just, it's just, you learn on the job. There's, there's not, you just can't equate it to, uh, to that. But I, I mean, not, not to say college is, is totally not useful. There's obviously plenty of connections and shit, but I think, I think you find your own way no matter what. Like you, you'll have connections if you start PAing on music videos and stuff. Like you just, there's ways to do it. As far as my field, the, you know, uh, the, as proven by the number of people who are able to write and podcast without a major, you know, uh, it, like you can start it earlier than any, and you need less of that. I, so I went to Syracuse, and I, I thought they taught me good basics of it. Um, and I, th- I think the most valuable thing of the college is the, if you can afford it, which most people can't, but the four years of figuring it out, like where you're, you have like this excuse to go intern at this place or that place and and learn, and it might be a little bit easier for you to get like a uh, an internship or a part-time job if like your internship, especially if you're in a school somewhere. So, you know, but do not wait. What, what I would say for, at least for my field, like content creation, whether it's sports or otherwise, do not wait for those internships. Like start doing it. Like, yeah, I mean, fucking Sixers Adam and then before that Jake Pavorsky were doing it when they were, you know, before they were able to drive. So you're, you're behind if you're not doing it yet, would be my advice. And then final um, basketball question. This comes from Matt. We've seen playoff matchups take certain play, certain of our players off the court. Like Maz can't play against the Celtics, but TJ could play more minutes in this series. If you look at the potential Eastern Conference matchups, who do you think would be the biggest swing players against each team I'm generally thinking of non-starters. So he lists the Nets, the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Heat. Um, the Nets, I think it's got to be Thibel, right? Yeah. Yeah. From I a, think for a, sure. I think, I think you could make the argument with, with Celtics also um, because of both you know, Kemba and Jalen and Jason and also Marcus Smart being able to hit all of his shots against the Sixers. Um, I think I think Matisse is, is kind of key to all of them, um, but ultimately it's it's going to be about you know I don't know the, the swing players is tough because it's like who's going to hit their shots right because the 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 crux of the offense is going to be run through Embiid. Tobias at this point I think you can trust him to be maybe not hit this many shots at the when the you know defense tightens up in the postseason but I think he's going to be doing his thing. And so it's just a matter of like how they double and bead, how well he passes out of the post and how well guys hit shots when the ball gets swung to them. And so I would, it'd be really nice if Matisse like got a little warm for a month. Like that would be really cool. Yeah. If he shot like 42% from three for like a month on like two shots per game, like that would be, that would be awesome. But, uh, well, and Simmons will be a, given the, the like against a team like the Celtics or, you know, if they play Toronto or Simmons will be a, a player that will be interesting to watch this year compared to other years. For sure. You know? I don't think that basically if you look at the, the bench players right now, since Shake is out between um, 
Maxi, Korkmaz, Mike Scott, Isaiah Joe, Dwight Howard, there's a really good chance that absolutely none of them are in the playoff rotation. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the six that you can the seven that you can count on are the main five starters plus Shake and Matisse. They're gonna be in there in some way. Um and so really one or two more guys, and that's it. All right. Well, we will uh, talk to you later this week. Sixers play Toronto on uh, on Sunday night. Which, 50 points. 50 points. Joel Embiid, best player in the league. We always knew it was going to be like this, but somehow it being like this is more of a delight than, than I would have imagined, actually. Yes, we were right, and it's good to say that and not... Uh, not have any faults like come up and maybe I don't know, uh, but yeah, it's what a special thing. Fifty points, and the the first time since Iverson in 05. That's sixteen years since we had like a really elite player like this, and it's that's a long time to go. And so think about friggin' two thousand seven through th- two thousand twelve when they didn't have like anybody that was doing really anything at all. They were totally nothing, useless. And now we have Joel Embiid, and he's the best player in the league, and he scored 50 points, and he's awesome. That's really good. Getting my tattoo of of Joel Embiid for some reason being laid to rest, uh, with laid to rest by, you know, every f- championship team in the past, and it's going to be like sort of r- rainbow for some reason. We we can't get you to it. It's going to be awful. We can't get you to agree to that if Embiid wins no, the MVP and the Sixers win no, the not title. A oh, okay. Not a chance. Damn. But it is stupid. Yeah. Uh, and I am stupid in thinking about it. Maybe they. It sounds like a good shirt. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous, just horrible. Just like awful. Like, yeah, there's some, well, really just like overloaded, poorly designed. Like, yeah. It has to be, it has to be disgusting. I'll get Tanner to work on it. Uh, we'll talk to you this week. You down with TTP? Yeah, you know, look face. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing